All right, y'all, are we ready? Yes. I think we are. <laughs> Here we go. Let's do it. Hey. <laughs> Welcome, fearless listeners. Today is the first ever broadcast from PandaPod. I know. If you haven't heard, PandaPod is NDRN's brand new podcast channel designed to deliver training, technical assistance, useful, and most importantly, entertaining content. Mm, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. To the PNAs and our allies in an all new format. Keep coming back to PandaPod for podcast series on any range of disability rights topics from some of your favorite NDRNs. Hello. <laughs> that would be us. <laughs> and our special guests all year long. If you've tuned in today, you're just in time for our first episode series of Disability, Disaster, and Democracy, where we're going to be talking about elections and census data and how it all relates to emergency preparedness and disaster planning. Uh, but without further ado, let's introduce our host for the PandaPod, Justice. Hi, everyone. It is I, Justine Justice Shorter. I am the Disaster Protection Advisor here at NDRN, and I am absolutely thrilled to be joined here today by my two spectacular co-hosts. Um, but let that's me... Us. It is you. It is you. It is you. And we'll go into a little bit more about the series, but before we do, let's go ahead and kick it over to Michelle. Hey, hey, this is Michelle Bishop. You know me as your voting rights specialist here at NDRN. And I can't pass up this opportunity to also give a shout out to Pava IRL, my video blog. Check it out. And now let me introduce Erica, queen of the pun. Oh, that's an honor and a privilege to have that name. <laughs> but my name is Erica Hudson. I'm a public policy analyst here at NDRN. And my main focus is Census 2020 that is quickly approaching. And I also have the opportunity to work with the rest of our public policy team here at NDRN on various sorts of topics. But so excited to be with y'all today and excited for this first series to get started. Yeah, it's going to be a really phenomenal one, all talking about disasters, emergencies, humanitarian crises. It's going to be great. Yes, yeah. I'm excited. These are difficult topics, but they are worth us having the conversation about. And people are approaching these topics from such unique and innovative ways. It's really a wonder to behold, just the, the great ways that people are trying to protect the rights of people with disabilities and advocate for folks there on the front lines. It's right. amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's important time to talk about it. I mean, 2020, not a small year. I would say. Oh, it's a big no. year. Yeah. We would say so, we would go so far as to say big. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> maybe a little election you've heard you know. About. Yes. Right. Something okay. happening down in November. There might be an Hello. election. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And of course, census year no. as well. We, we call the big C. That. That's do we? Do we? I don't think we I'm do. I'm not sure that anyone calls it that. Well, I think we should. We should. Okay. Coining new phrases. <laughs> That's what you, you heard it here first on That's the right. Pantopods. That's right. The big C. Yes. The big yes. C. Well, you know, it's it's so important, though, because the election is happening on the heels of hurricane season, mm, which ends right. in November. Right. But it's also so important to make sure that everyone is counted, including folks with disabilities. And it's uh, so central when we think about disaster funding, disaster assistance, and that's a lot of what this series is about. We're really trying to get at issues at the intersection of disability, Mm. disaster, and democracy. That's the whole theme of this three-part series that we'll be doing here over the next few weeks. Before we actually get into today's topic, since I noticed you called November the heels of hurricane season, I'm from New York. We don't call it that. We Mm. call it midwinter where I'm from. Mm. Um, So either way, it's less than ideal time, I suppose, for an election. I'm, we don't know who's listening today and where they're from. Mm. And I would imagine a lot of folks, when they think disaster, they think of the states that are typically impacted by hurricanes. Mm. But this matters everywhere. It absolutely does. So, you know, we, we think about this in some of the most 
frequently hit states, right? You think about this in some of your Gulf Coast states. Mm. You think about this in terms of the wildfires in California. But yes, as Michelle mentioned, obviously disasters can happen anywhere in the country, right? And you have typhoons that are taking place in the Pacific Islands, um, and you have all types of flooding that occurs on a, a just any time of the flooding year. Flooding can happen, can happen anytime. Mm. Also, home fires, you know, there's all types of emergencies that happen, both natural and man-made, mm. um, that happen that could keep people away from the poles due to displacement or any other number of reasons. And so it's important for us to just sit down, have the conversation, and just look at the myriad of ways that people are impacted by these issues. And let's figure out what we can do as advocates, as attorneys, as people who care and take it from there. And that's why census data is so important. So we know where people are at all times and whether that's to prepare for disasters or emergencies or after to see how different communities change over time, especially if they were impacted by any type of disaster that you just said. So correct me if I'm wrong, you're referring to data from the big C? Yes, the big C. The big C. We'll talk about on our second episode of this series. Justice, tell us about today's episode. Well, today's episode, we're going to kick it off with an episode about voting rights after disasters. So we'll be hearing from representatives from Disability Rights New Jersey. They'll be talking to us about a lot of the phenomenal work that they did after Superstorm Sandy in 2012. And then we're going to kick it over to Orange County, and they'll be talking to us about some of the innovative things that they are doing to ensure that individuals with disabilities have equitable access to elections following disaster. So they are exciting and engaging, captivating conversations. We do hope that you guys will stay with us throughout. Mary from Disability Rights New Jersey kicks us off. Mary? Okay, my name is Mary Saccone. I'm the Director of Policy. I've been with Disability Rights New Jersey and its prior name, New Jersey Protection Advocacy, since 1998. Awesome. So I initially uh, met you, Mary, at the NDRN 2019 annual conference, and you were attending a roundtable that was on voting, and you mentioned this concept of voting rights after disaster. So that is where I personally would love to start. Why did you bring up that question, and can you talk to us about the importance of voting rights after disasters? Um, I brought it brought it up because it's an experience that here in New Jersey we experienced um, firsthand. Um, and unless, as as people are now experiencing wildfires in California, hurricanes in Texas and Florida, and you know disasters all over the country, um, it's something that I think people need to be prepared for. Um, in New, in 2012, it was a week before the election. Um, and we were hit by Hurricane Sandy. Um, the problem with Hurricane Sandy was it hit the um, shore pretty hard. Um, a lot of buildings were destroyed and flooding and sur- uh, surge and all of that. But throughout the whole state, um, power was out um, for weeks um, throughout the whole state. So even if you weren't in the, didn't get the full effect of the storm, the residual effects continued on for several weeks. And because it was a presidential election year, 2012, it was one week before the election, we were scrambling. The Division of Elections was scrambling. The local um, uh, county officials were scrambling to try to figure out how they were going to hold a presidential election one week after this natural disaster. So it's something that I think people need to be prepared for because you just never know when disaster is going to strike. And I say it hit the entire state. So it was something that it wasn't just one little small area. It was statewide. 
And good thing it was just a minor election. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it couldn't have been any worse. I mean, the presidential election, which has the most people voting, you know, and it was it was a big deal. So, yes, it was, that was, yeah, that was the biggest problem. And um, so, you know, basically we were flying by the seat of our pants. The diverse director of the Division of Elections and the Secretary of State were just every day throwing out emergency uh uh, emergency um, rulings to determine, you know, on who could vote, where people could vote, all kinds of other stuff. People were just trying to throw up ideas of how we could get people to vote in as many, uh, even though they weren't living where they, were, they normally live, they were displaced. I mean, it was a problem. Wow. So, and you, you talked about this a little bit, the power outages, buildings being destroyed, and I think a lot of our listeners are going to remember exactly how devastating Superstorm Sandy was. How badly did that shake up the traditional model of polling place voting? Um, well, there were certain counties like Ocean County where many polling places just weren't available, period. They either had no power or their polling place was damaged beyond repair, um, or at least in time for the election. So they either had to find new polling places, they had to try to find places that people could get to, um, because you got to remember, not only were polling places not available, um, roads were, you know, certain roads were impassable, there were trees down everywhere, it was a problem. And even in other counties, as I say, the problem was statewide because power was out. So a lot of polling places just couldn't be used because there was no power. So the, the voting equipment couldn't be used in those locations, so there was like a, suddenly they had to try to change election locations. Um, the state rules regarding vote by mail you know, people are like, well, maybe I can do a vote by mail. Well, the problem is vote by mail in New Jersey, you have to request that vote by mail ballot by mail um, one week before the election. Mm-hmm. And if not, then you have to go in person. Well, if you were out of the, if you had had to move out of the state, which a lot of people did because they had no home, they had no power, many people were displaced across the entire state. It wasn't easy to get back to your county board of elections to get that vote by mail ballot. So there were all kinds of issues, and they say displacement of people was one of the biggest problems because they say if your home was destroyed, people evacuated um, all up and down the shore, and they had to they weren't allowed to return home. So there was no coming home. So they were kind of they were evacuated and then they were gone. It's kind of like. Um, you know, for many, you know, many months. And when you consider there was election one week later, that created all kinds of problems. If if it had been, you know, a month before the election, it wouldn't have been such a problem, but it literally was one week. And they say the opportunity to vote by mail, that was ending one, you know, by mail, if you wanted to request that vote by mail ballot by mail, you had to do that one week before the election. Um, I'm wondering, what are your top three lessons learned from this experience? If you had three main takeaways that you want our audience to remember today to help them prepare wherever they are, what would those be? Uh, first of all, I think one of the big lessons is that it can happen anywhere. Um, you don't think it can happen to you. I mean, I, I grew up in Ohio, and so our biggest fear was always tornadoes. But if you know anything about a tornado, it's only going to hit a real small area. Even if it's a really bad tornado, it might wipe out a town, but it's not going to affect the whole state. But, yet, you know, but coming out to New Jersey, I, you know, and I'm like, oh, hurricanes, they don't really hit New Jersey. They hit the south. We don't really get hurricanes. Well, we got hurricanes two years in a row. We got her, uh, Irene 2011, 
flooded big chunks of the whole state. And then literally the next year we got Sandy, which devastated the whole state. As they say, knocked out power, displaced lots of people throughout the whole state, and, you know, devastated the shore area. So it can happen, and it can happen anywhere, and you need to be prepared. One, you need to think through what happens if all the power goes out in the state. You know, voting is dependent on power. You need lights for people to see to go in to vote. Voting machines are electronic equipment. They don't run on, you know, do they have batteries? Do they have battery backup? They're not going to operate if there's no power. So there is, you know, and if people are displaced, if something happens where they, they all have to be evacuated for whatever reason, you know, people are not going to be where they're supposed to be. And if this all happens right around an election, it becomes a major problem. So it's something that you have to realize that it can happen anywhere. And you don't know what a natural disaster might hit, but it, it can't, and it can happen literally anywhere in this country. So everybody needs to think in terms of where, uh, what happens if there's no power, and what happens if people are displaced, because those are the two biggest issues. Um, as I say, most polling places were not destroyed. Most polling places were, the buildings were fine, but they had no power, and people moved away or evacuated because they had no power or they were told to evacuate and couldn't get back home. Those are the issues that remain. So so be prepared. I think the other thing is be have a good relationship with your uh, division, the person heading the Division of Elections for the state. Have a good relationship with all the other partners that we have, uh, your League of Women Voters, your ACLU. You know, they may not be as concerned about disability voting, but there, everybody has a concern about voting. So by having regular meetings, we're very lucky. We have these regular meetings before every election. And in a presidential election year, it, we usually have a couple more um, to discuss these issues. So we address them before there's a problem. If we know, you know, and you know, the director of the division of elections, I have his address phone number. He answers me whenever I have a question. So we have a really good working relationship. I know other states may, that may not be the case, but. By talking to him regularly, he understands now, after I've been doing this for however many years I've been doing voting, um, and I've been dealing with him, he understands accessibility. He understands the need to make sure that people with disabilities have the same uh, access to voting that everybody else does. And he, you know, if I have an issue, he tries to address it before there's a problem. So we have a good, I think having a good relationship with these other partners has really helped. And I say, when this happened, he got on the phone and they were very transparent about what they were doing and they wanted our help to get out to our constituents to let people know what was going to happen so we worked together on that issue um and then as i say basically those are my two big issues um and three you know no idea is uh you know you may come up with a when there isn't when tra you know, when an emergency does strike you know throw out any ideas the, you know, some may work, some may not, but when there's an emergency situation, you know, people want to vote. So how are you going to get as many people voting as possible? And I say some of the ideas worked, some of the ideas did not, but people were still trying ideas because, you know, it's something that when push came to shove, everybody in our group had the same goal, was to get as many people to vote as possible. So that was we all work towards that one purpose. And when things didn't work, we're like, okay, that's not working. Let's try something else. So, be, but, you know, work through, but 
it's better to work through those ideas beforehand, like, so you can actually think them through. But sometimes that doesn't happen. Mary, I just want to tease out something that you said. Voting depends on power, not just the electricity, but also the electric, the power of the people. And I think you drove that home, as well as the power of these collective organizations coming together uh, to protect the rights of individuals to vote. And specifically, we're thinking about this in terms of the protection and advocacy agencies who do such stellar work across the the country and in the territories to uh, protect the voting rights of individuals with disabilities. So uh, we sincerely appreciate you bringing that point home here as we as we prepare to close out. But before we do, we want to ask, is there anything else that you perhaps would like to mention or say that we perhaps didn't ask you already? I remember just the, um, just the idea that, you know, oh my gosh, how are we going to get people to vote when everybody is out of state or out of the, their district or wherever? And it's like, you know, how are we going to count the votes? How are we going to handle the I mean, it was just this big fear that the election was going to fall apart, and it didn't, and people did get to vote. So, um, but that was because it was a collective effort by everybody to make sure that everybody had the right to vote. And I think that's probably the biggest thing. But it sure would have been nicer if we'd planned for it ahead of time. I think things would have worked a little bit better. Mary, I'm sorry it took us eight years to interview you. We just got a podcast. Yes, we're working on this. (laughs) Yeah, I know. It's going to be a busy year. All right. Thank you. That was amazing, Mary. Thank you so much. I think your experience is being caught completely off guard Mm -hmm. and having to run an election immediately after a storm that I don't think anyone thought was going to reach all the way to New York and New Jersey. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's got to resonate with a lot of our listeners. I think that happens so often. No one thinks it will happen to them Mm -hmm. until it happens to them. Right. And so making sure that we are prepared as much as possible, but still being fully cognizant that things do not always go as planned. Mm. And so having those relationships with people and just being ready to get in there and do the work on the ground, make the connections, identify the problems, and figure out very quickly what plausible solutions exist can really get us many steps further in the process. And I think that's a lot of what Mary hit on during our conversation. And it's what many advocates have echoed all across the country when it comes to these issues. So we're super excited that she highlighted those for us today. And now we have another great conversation. We do. This is a great way to shift gears because our next guest is Neil Kelly, who's with Orange County Elections. And Orange County actually spends a lot of time preparing and thinking about how they're going to ensure access to the ballot during or after disaster so that they won't be caught off guard. Mm. Uh, Neil, thank you so much for joining us today. Please tell us about you. Absolutely. Neil Kelly, I'm the Registrar of Voters or the Chief Elections Official for Orange County, California. Fantastic. And I think Michelle will kick us off with a question or two. Absolutely. Neil, how long have you been running elections in Orange County, California? I am coming up on my 16th year of doing this, uh, which is a little unusual because in California, you know, the average tenure is about five years for this position. So a lot of your voters are actually voting by mail. How? They are, yes. How are they typically receiving an actual postal mail paper ballot? And if so, how do you prepare for disaster when they may not be home or their home may not be there anymore? Right. So we have a little over a million voters that were voting by mail before this transition to vote centers. Now, 1.7 million roughly voters will all get a, a paper ballot in the mail. But we've also put in, new for 2020, a remote vote by mail accessible system. So voters with disabilities or voters that are displaced could easily go online 
download their ballot, mark it online, and print it out in any location around the world. So we're prepared for that, um, and, and you know that that really the, the primary function of that is to provide services for voters with disabilities that might not be able to make it to a vote center, but it has this byproduct of being able to service voters in a disaster or service military voters overseas. So there's kind of a you know, catch-all uh, as well. You know, that's what we refer to as the beauty of universal design, yes. kind of having program that, right. not just yeah. in terms of physical access, but also programmatic access, um, communication access, but building things in a way that's going to be universally accessible to everyone, not just individuals with disabilities. Um, Neil, a quick question for you. Talk to us a little bit about your engagement with the disability community. This is a, a, often the, the first uh, recommendation that we hear when folks talk about making things more accessible and trying to to enhance equity be equity for the disability population. So can you talk to me about the process of engaging with the disability community to make some of these changes that you've referenced thus far? I can't tell you enough how much I appreciate the disability community here in Orange County because they're engaged and we have uh, a number of representatives on our large community advisory board. Uh, which is made up of 25 individuals throughout the county, many of them voters with disabilities. And I can tell you that they have been instrumental in the acquisition of our new voting system, in the way that we are providing services to voters with disabilities. Uh, And just a quick example, for instance, we have a subcommittee of that group that really educated us on open captions and how we're doing video education and, and using open captions versus closed captioning. So it's, they've just been instrumental in, in the whole operation from top to bottom. You talked a little bit about how you prepare uh, for a disaster when you're thinking about running elections. Who, what sort of partners are you bringing to the table, even just beyond the disability so we, community? Yeah, we uh, have a law enforcement fusion center here in Orange County that we, we work very closely with. Uh, we partner very closely with Homeland Security and the FBI. Uh, we also partner with our local fire authority, and so uh, all of these folks are at the table and having these discussions on how would we respond. We, we participate in tabletop exercises, for instance, with our local fire authority and local law enforcement, uh, and that, that keeps us, you know, that this issue top of mind. We also go through risk assessments internally and then bring in these other outside agencies as necessary to help us with those risk assessments uh, and to provide other perspectives. So. It's kind of broad in terms of what we do, you know, here in Orange County and the people that we engage. I'm also fortunate because Orange County is the only county in California that has its own law enforcement fusion center for the entire county. Uh, Even L.A. County doesn't have that. So, um, you know, I'm lucky that we have these resources available. Neil, I just I also wanted to to ask you a question here. Um, if you could, you know, you said that you have been doing a lot of planning and things that have been specifically related to preparation for 2020 elections starting here in March. Let's dream here a bit. What would you envision the voting process looking like in the next four or so years? You've already been doing the work for 16 years. I, I totally imagine you doing it for another 16. You seem to love it. Um, but, but I wonder if you could project out for the next four years or so, what, what would you envision by way of advancements? And you know, if you could kind of build a better process um, as you go, even if the technology doesn't um, uh, have space for it now, but perhaps if we could just project out and dream for the future, what would that look like for you? You know, this is really a sea change for Orange County voters, what we're going through now, this transition. 
And to me, election administrators for so long have been in a bubble and focused mainly on kind of the process of administration and not the voter experience. And I'm trying to take this to a different level to be able to provide a very different, valuable experience for voters where there's more access, there's more time, it's it's an easier process with, with less barriers. And that's what you know I'm focused on with this transition we're making now. All I can see between now and the next four years is this ability with increased access and ease of use in the system. And I think, you know, we're headed in the right direction. Um, I'm not sure how much your listeners might be familiar with the voting uh, system guidelines and that process of enhancing development of new systems. And I'm, I'm very involved in that process. So I see new technology in the next four or five, six years coming down the road that can make it even more accessible for voters. So we'll continue to look at that and we'll continue to implement those things here in Orange County. There's there's no question. A point of clarification, Neil, am I hearing you say that you would like for us to have more accessible means of voting via a hoverboard? Is that where we're going <laughs> for the next 10 years or so, Neil? Let's I just like let's be kind of clear for the listeners here. No, I'm joking. But no, it's a good response. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. I mean, that's a that's a great comment. I, I think the, the thing that I just wanted to add, though, is that you know, um, this is a, probably a horrible analogy, but I, I think of like kind of the Starbucks of voting in that that it has to be an easy process that is not a burden or a hassle. Mm-hmm. And I think there have been so many laws and so many regulations that have kind of surrounded elections that creates those barriers unintended in many cases, but we don't think about the voters enough. And that's what I'm trying to do mm-hmm. and make those changes. I need them to get my name right, unlike the good I was about to mention Starbucks. the same thing. <laughs> yes, but that. other than that, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I agree. I think there's so much technology on the horizon right now that's going to change so much about how we access the vote in general. And I can't imagine how invaluable some of that's going to be when we think about uh, elections under less than ideal circumstances. Mm. Uh, so that's fascinating. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, and one thing I think we need to keep in mind is that the more that we enhance security, the more potential there is for decreasing access, you know, yes. and, and those unintended consequences. So certainly we need to keep that in mind. Absolutely. The voter experience, for sure, and voters are diverse. Yep. I would encourage, if there's other election officials listening um, or just people in other jurisdictions, is that focus on that disaster recovery plan take the time to sit down and think about the risks that you face and how would you deploy following a natural disaster or even a, or even an unnatural disaster um, because you know we have an obligation to the voters to make sure that there's accessibility across the board so even though there's limited resources you can sit down and take the time to go through those risk assessments and that's important Mm-hmm. Ladies, any additional questions for Neil? Uh, the only thing I could add to what Neil just said is that I think that any elections officials who are listening are much more powerful than they've ever imagined. Mm. Elections officials mm-hmm. make such important decisions and they set the tone. And, you know, 
voting system, manufacturers and vendors, they design what they can sell to you. And if you are innovators and you push change, then we're going to see better and better solutions for security and accessibility and uh, flexibility going into the future. Mm-hmm. So, yes, absolutely. Maybe even hoverboards. Maybe, Maybe even, even hoverboards. Very important. Yeah. Very important. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, Neil, it has been an absolute pleasure. This has been a wonderful, wonderful interview. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time. Awesome. Thanks so much. Wonderful. But ladies, I do have news. We are already at the end of our very first episode of the Panda Pod. We want to thank you all so much for taking this journey with us. And we do hope that you will continue on. We have so much other wonderful content in store for you. We crushed it today. Don't get (laughs) (laughs) We have much, much more to share. So we hope that you will join us. I, once again, am Justice Shorter Disaster Protection Advisor here at NDRN. Michelle Bishop, voting rights specialist, NDRN. Erica Hudson, public policy analyst with NDRN. All right. Specialist in the big C census. The big C. Hey, that's the next one. (laughs) Yes. And that's our very next episode. Erica, tell us a little bit about the next episode. What's coming up next here on the Panda Pod? Well, like we said, the big C census 2020 is fast approaching. It's a big year, not only with elections, but with the census that only happens every 10 years. So on our next episode, we'll be talking about how census data impacts disaster and emergency preparedness and what it all is about. So and the sure funding attached to it. The funding, a lot of money mm-hmm. going in there. So hello, okay. that's what I'm saying. But again, thank you all for tuning in to our first episode of the Panda Pod in our first series of Disaster disability, and democracy. It's been a pleasure, guys. Have a good one. See you next week. We're out. Bye.